I'm Jeff Wells, and you're listening to Walk Among Heroes, a podcast dedicated to honoring the brave men and women who allow us to enjoy the greatest privilege in the world, freedom. Each Tuesday, I'll sit down with an American military hero. We will listen to unedited, authentic stories in their own voices, in their own words. We will hear incredible military stories from some of the greatest heroes to ever walk the face of this earth. And who knows, we may learn a few of their secret life lessons along the way. Although none of us can begin to imagine what they've seen, heard, and experienced during our time together, I'll do my very best to take us all for a walk among heroes. Here we go. I'm Jeff Wells, and you're listening to Walk Among Heroes podcast, episode 41, which is our night for our heroes event that we had last night in St. Mary Glees. It's the first year that we've done the event. It's pretty cool, actually. At least I thought it was. But in the past, Tim Gray from the World War II Foundation had always hosted an event every year. Usually it involved a movie screening and then a panel Uh, with various actors and so on and so forth. And so Tim uh, is not hosting the event this year. So didn't think anything about it. And as we began moving closer to D-Day week, people started to reach out to us on Facebook and on Instagram and emailing us and basically asking if there was any way to meet the World War II veterans and meet the actors and the Band of Brothers guys And so it finally hit us that it may make sense to put together something similar to what Tim did and host an evening called Night for Our Heroes for those to come from the general public and meet our heroes, listen to their stories, listen to the Band of Brothers actors. And the entire purpose of the evening is to preserve history through their stories and through those who have dedicated a life to preserving those stories like the Band of Brothers guys and some of our other guests. So that was it. We didn't plan it, start planning it long ago, but it was nearly sold out. It was at the Airborne Museum in St. Mary Glees. Really want to thank Magali, who's the director of the museum, for allowing us to host it there. Just simply amazing, amazing event. We had a great time. And I'd also like to thank Katya and Emmanuel, who are the owners of the Chateau, uh, Isle Marie, where we stay, and she allowed us to have an amazing uh, VIP reception there. So I want to thank Katya and Emmanuel as well. The board or the uh, panel, panelists that we had, we had a great variety of, of folks, again, all having something to do with preserving the legacy of history, D-Day, and uh, other aspects of history. So first, locally, we had Maurice Renault. Uh, Maurice is the son of Alexander Renault, who is the current president of AVA, which is the organization that oversees all of the D-Day activities. They've also been responsible for building several of the major monuments around St. Mary Glees. And the coolest thing about Maurice, well, he's just a cool dude, but he was in St. Mary Glees on D-Day. He was just a young youngster two or three years old but his father was the mayor and really helped the americans when they landed on d-day so maurice knows everything about this week he knows everything about the festivities because he and his organization ava uh, planned all these festivities so maurice is just awesome for the band of brothers guys we have peter youngblood hills who played shifty daryl shifty powers scott gibson 
he didn't play in the Band of Brothers series. He played in the Pacific series. He played Captain Andrew Haldane, which one of the most awesome characters, just an amazing guy. Uh, Matt Leach, he played Floyd Talbert. Peter McKay played Donald Hubler. Nolan Hemmings played Chuck Grant. Alex uh, Sabiga Brady played Francis Mellett. And then Christian Black, who not only was in the Band of Brothers series, but he also is a world-renowned photographer. Just takes some amazing pictures. He's been with us all week, helping us all week. Just, just an amazing guy. On the World War II veteran side, all the veterans that you've heard from this week, we've done podcasts with several. Gilbert Clark, who at this point you know was born in Jamaica and then volunteered to join the RAF. Of course, Reed Clan, you know, landed on Omaha Beach and later fought in the Battle of the Bulge and fought his way across Europe. And then Jim Kelly, who is a British veteran who landed on the eastern side of the sector, flew in via glider, landed on D-Day over vicinity Ranville, close to Pegasus Bridge. So just an honor. These panelists were just amazing, and you're, you're going to hear from their voices and their words. But we wanted to try to... I just wish we had a longer. That's the only thing. We had just a, a good-sized panel and not a lot of time. But what time we did have, I feel like these guys just gave very, very thorough answers. So I want to thank all of them for being part of this. I want to thank you for listening. As always, follow along on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at it's all at Walk Among Heroes, posting some really amazing content. I'd really like to thank Isla Romberg, who is working her tail off back in the U.S., helping us post all this stuff. It's just really, really awesome, these reels and all these things. We, we see so much every single day. It's just difficult to keep up with trying to post it all. So we're trying to do live feeds and different things. But just to give you an example, today alone... Uh, the the sheer quantity and volume. This morning we went to Point du Hoc, which is one of the most iconic, legendary places here in Normandy. And it's where the Rangers scaled up the cliffs on D-Day. And there's a whole story, we can do a whole podcast episode on that alone. But we went there this morning, spent several hours there. Then we had lunch. Then we went to the C-47 Memorial, which, which was created by... Uh, Marie Legrand and Charles Shea, who is our amazing veteran friend who's a medic on the first wave during D-Day. And we went there, and it was attended by the German Army, by the United States Army, generals everywhere, just an amazing ceremony that Marie hosted. Then from there, we went to a special VIP reception with literally, <laughs> I've never, I can't even comprehend how many stars were there on these generals. There were five or six four-star generals. You had uh, Mark Milley, General Milley, who's the commander of the Joint Chiefs, on down from the, from literally, I, I just, I still am almost speechless thinking about uh, all the, you know, the NATO commander, just, you know, the commander of all of Europe. Of course, the 82nd Division commander, 101st Division commander, you know, just, one commander after another and the coolest thing was our veterans were able to meet all of them and and these generals are so kind to these veterans and i know they should be but they don't have to be you know they don't have to take the time to go over and sit and talk to them and get to meet them so we're going to post some of those videos just really cool stuff and then of course the band of brothers guys we met dick winter's uh, nephew which is amazing we met helen Patton, which was amazing really hope to have her on the podcast sometime we met uh, General Gavin's daughter, 
which is amazing. Just all of these incredible people are here right now. They're in St. Maraguise, they're walking around Normandy, they're here to pay tribute to our heroes and do their part to make sure history's never forgotten. So that's what we're trying to do. So just an amazing day all around. Lots and lots going on. Again, follow along at Walk Among Heroes. Tomorrow, we're going to hopefully watch the Lafayette Airborne Jumps, which there are plane after plane after plane. And usually on June 4th, that is the day that they all go and they jump. And so these airborne troops are jumping normally. Some of them are active duty. Some of them are civilians, but they literally jump all day long. And what an honor that is to jump into a place like Normandy. So with Normandy, the question is always the weather. It's very windy here. So hopefully the wind will die down enough tomorrow to allow some of these jumps to happen. So that's the plan for tomorrow. And then also in the near future, we're going to accompany Jim Kelly, who's a World War or British veteran. We're going to accompany him over to the British sector so he can show us some of the places where he landed in his glider. He, you know, some of the take us through some of the path that he walked uh, when he landed on D-Day. So without further ado, I will be quiet and we'll turn it over to our inaugural Night for Our Heroes. Some of you have been to Tim Gray and the World War II Foundation's panel that they've done in previous years. And Tim's a good friend. Is Tim here, by the way? Did Tim make it? Uh, Tim's a, a dear friend. And many of these guys have been involved in his panel in the past. And he's not doing his uh, panel anymore. And so we put together our trip, Walk Among Heroes. You've probably seen it online. And so we put together a trip with several of our veterans. And we started receiving these messages coming through email and, and Instagram. We'd really love to meet the veterans. How can we meet the veterans? And so that's how this all came about, uh, this Walk Among Heroes, which we're calling Night for Our Heroes. We're going to do it next year uh, as well if they'll have us back here. Margalie will have us back if we don't spill too much wine on her uh, cushions. Hopefully, Scott already is a, a perpetrator, but uh, hopefully... Hopefully, hopefully uh, they will have us back. So uh, just a couple introductory remarks, and then I'm going to turn it over to the folks that you really want to hear from, which are uh, all these guys. We're not very, uh, we're not very, um, well, now, yeah. Um, So Walk Among Heroes, we started this organization. We have a charity called Wish for Our Heroes in the United States. Uh, the purpose of the charity is to help military families with basic needs. So food, shelter, transportation, child needs, medical expenses. Uh, it's all stuff that our military deals with every day. I, I myself was in the Army and was deployed over in combat and had a lot of soldiers that had a lot of things that were happening back home, as simple as putting food on the table. So I got out of the Army in 2009. My father passed away and we started this organization with he had zero money, zero knowledge on how to run a charity or start a charity, nothing. And so we built it from the ground up through a network of volunteers. Uh, several of these guys up here have been involved in it. Uh, Maurice himself came all the way over uh, from France to San Antonio to be part of our event uh, this past year. And since 2009, we've provided like $30 million in assistance to military families across the world, uh, across the world. And we've helped like 40,000 uh, military families uh, all, all over the world. 
And so all of the proceeds... Yeah. So all of the proceeds that we raised tonight uh, will go to a, to Wish for Our Heroes to assist military families with basic needs. And then a portion of the proceeds will also go to next year to bring more veterans uh, over to Normandy, which is really what it's all about uh, in honoring these guys and honoring their incredible sacrifice here in this place that was, uh, again, probably the most important mission in the history of our world at that particular time. So that's who we are. You've probably seen some of the uh, things if you went over in the other room. We have a couple different things that we're uh, using to, to, to raise money. Uh, there's some, uh, these are uh, prints. So there's a World War II veteran who landed uh, on Omaha Beach on D-Day and his granddaughter did this um, painting, charcoal drawing, and it's a print of three soldiers that are standing down overlooking uh, Omaha Beach. And so we had our World War II veterans sign a handful of those prints. And we have some signed ones, some unsigned ones uh, that are available afterwards. If, if anybody's inter interested, just go see Mike Tarr. We realized tonight that our credit card swipers don't work overseas. We figured that, figured that out the hard way. So uh, anyway, it, it's cash or do an IOU and we can send you an email or whatever uh, with a PayPal invoice. Uh, and then we have these plaques uh, that another veteran in the United States made. And uh, Mr. Clanton actually collected that sand uh, from Omaha Beach, which is where he landed. And so that sand that's on those plaques, uh, and it's an overview of the invasion, and, and, and it it's, uh, was, was created by a veteran. So there's a couple of those. And then the last thing, is the last thing, Mike? We have some posters that are signed by uh, our Band of Brothers cast uh, here, and they're pretty cool posters. They're like a canvas type of material, and they're big um, big movie posters, and they're signed. So if you're interested in any of those things, I, I think we have maybe like 10 of those or so. Yeah, 10 of those. So go see Mike afterwards if you're interested in, the, you know, like a gift or something for a birthday gift or for yourself or a present or what have you. Um, next... I'd like to uh, introduce, we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about this later, but I'd like to introduce Matt, who um, he and Layton uh, have a group that they put together every year that runs some pretty cool tours. And the name of their organization is uh, We Happy 506th, uh, and they run tours every single year with the Band of Brothers. So I wanted to turn it over to him. Peter, if you could uh, give Matt the phone or the uh, microphone real quick, just let him talk for a second and tell everybody about what y'all do. Hello, fellas. <clears throat> Made pretty easy by the fact that a lot of people here are, are in fact, our touring crew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have to be five or six, those of you don't know, we started during COVID. Um, and for want of a better explanation, I think we have everything so, me and Leighton Gray, Leighton is the light of my life, by the way. He's <laughs> the most positive human being I've ever met. Fantastic influence on me. I love you, buddy. We decided, um, we were doing some signings for stuff, and, and, and uh, it was like signings that you got paid for, so people would like pay for people's signatures, Pete's signature, or whatever. And uh, between the two of us, we came up, is there any way we could do this on Zoom, where people can like 
watch us and get at least like give people a message or something. And somehow it spiraled from then to doing Zoom reunions, cast reunions. So we went through all the different episodes of Band of Brothers, one through ten in a totally different order. Uh, and we got members of the cast back together, we got the writers on, we got producers on, and that kind of stuff. Um, and it was really, really cool, except, of course, there's only 10 episodes. So after a little while, we sort of wrapped ourselves to two. So then we sort of like, there was, a, there was a stuttering podcast and stuff. And then between the two of us, we came up with this idea, well, maybe we should do some live events. Maybe we should go, we went to Eindhoven first. Pauline, where is Pauline? Pauline is wearing an Eindhoven top from the Eindhoven tour that we did. So we did, uh, we took Mark Lawrence, who played Duke, and he'd never been in sort of, um, where Duke was killed and that sort of stuff, and we did the crossroads and everything. And then we decided we'd go to Bastogne. Uh, we managed to get Shane and Lucy there, who played Doc Rowe and Ray LeMaire, which is amazing. That was the last tour that we did. Uh, and now, that, now we're here in Normandy. Um, and wonderful as it is for us to do these tours, and we brought Pete with us this time um, and to go out and do all the band stuff and bring the actors back. What has been amazing for us, for me and Leighton, um, was to hook up via Sarah Murray. Thank you so much, Sarah. Was to hook up with something with some actual grit, which of course is what Jeff is doing here. So now it's, it's a real massive pleasure of ours to sort of be slightly partnered in a sort of lower part of type way, we're just glad to be here, to be able to be part of something that is amazing to get to do. And for you to raise so much money for veterans back home, and I've lived in the States, and I work with the Gary Sinisi Project, and I know what a struggle it is for these veterans. It is not easy, and they do get just forgotten. And if it isn't for people like Jeff doing stuff like that, they just, they go by the wayside, and it's just criminal. So what he is doing is absolutely amazing. It's an absolute pleasure of ours to be any part of it and for us to bring our crew down here. Thanks, by the way, all our guys for supporting us. It's amazing. But of course, more than anything, it's just an absolute pleasure to meet these guys as well. To meet the veterans here has been amazing. The one thing I just can't get my head around is I've just met the only West Indian that doesn't like cricket. <laughs> <laughs> He's a soccer fan for some odd reason, but apart from that, thank you so much. Thank you for letting us be a part of this. Absolute honor, uh, and I'll, I'll turn it back over to you, Jeff. Thank you very much. Yeah. So the way this is going to work, uh, we're, we're going to go around. I have a series of that we're going to go through and ask, uh, ask all of our panel members, and then we'll kind of go through and uh, lead it to some discussion from that. And then at the end, we're going to open it up for questions. So if you have any questions, uh, just keep them in the back of your mind or jot them down, and then we'll, we'll uh, get to it at the end. So uh, we're going to get started. Stop hearing from us and hear from these incredible uh, gentlemen up here. So Pete McCabe on the end, I know you're part of the, the tour with Matt and Leighton. Uh, you played Donald uh, Hubler in Band of Brothers. So I'm going to ask all of you the same question as we go around. One, I'm going to ask if you, if you could just introduce yourself. Uh, briefly, just for a minute or so, and kind of give an overview of who you are. Uh, and then number two, what does it mean to you to be here in Normandy for this amazing week uh, of, of D-Day and to celebrate the 79th anniversary of D-Day? So go ahead, Pete. Thanks, Jeff. Um, Pete McCain, I played on a in the show. Um, and what does it mean to me? It's, it's a remarkable, remarkable people, people that are 
also fascinated by the subject. Um, but also to meet the people that work with people work. And, um, you know, we're actors, we've been a part in a show that was an extraordinary triumph, and it was an extraordinary piece of work about all the people in it, and to be just a tiny part of that is wonderful. Um, but to know that it is such a profound and extraordinary story, part of many stories that are told, that took place throughout that war, you know, in all, in all areas, in Normandy, in France, in Africa, in the Pacific, it was, it's, um, yeah, it's humbling. And uh, thank you for having me. So Matt, we just heard from him, but he played yeah, Floyd Talbert. Yes, yes. I'll go again. Hello again. <laughs> <laughs> I played Floyd Talbert, the show Band of Brothers. Um, it's always wonderful coming back to Normandy. Uh, it's like Scarlet O'Hara's Red Earth of Terror, isn't it? It's just like this is where all the energy comes from. Um, it's, it's just, yeah, it's wonderful. I've got pizza and tumblers. Um, and I do, yeah, you just learn something new every time you come here. Uh, and and, and uh, just the, the energy, the interest is, is waning, it seems to get more each year, um, which is all down to people like you support. And we, we all thank you so much for that. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you, Matt. Next, we have a very dear friend of ours, uh, Scott Gibson, uh, who's been involved in our charity. Uh, not only is he coming to things like this, our Walk Among Heroes trips, but he came to several Wish for Our Heroes events in the United States, which several of the folks did. And Scott's just been uh, huge. He uh, acted in the series, The Pacific. Uh, so he has a little different perspective on things, but he's a bit of a historian and he is very passionate about our veterans and helping our veterans. So go ahead, Scott. Thank you, Jeff. I guess I have to stand up. That was the shortest speech I've ever <laughs> Well, he talked for 10 minutes. I've already done one before. Don't slip in the wine. See, this is the thing with Band Brothers, guys. I'm the one Pacific guy. Uh, yeah, thanks so much. Met Jeff uh, last year. Uh, with, uh, I was invited by Tim Gray. Um, these gentlemen are why we are here. Uh, and I'm so privileged to be here because I portrayed someone who did what they do, what they did. They're tomorrow for our today. And um, I'm so happy to meet everyone that came to this. Like, this one uh, family, really. And um, I'm very, very privileged to be here. Uh, humbled to be sitting here with these men and um, I look forward to being back year after year. Thank you so much. Next we have Alex uh, who played Francis Mellet uh, in the Band of Brothers series and this is his first trip with us at least. Honored to have you bud. Thanks to you for, for having us over. And thank you, Sarah, for all the work you've been doing. Um, yeah, so I've been over to Normandy a few times at World War II Foundation in Tim Gray. Um, first time, Jeff, which we met last year. So great, great to meet you. And um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a privilege to be here. 
and, and to be amongst these fine gentlemen that are, are living history. Uh, they're the stories that we come here to listen to and to remember. So that is the most important thing. Um, it's a great honor to be here. Those who don't like the attention, but um, we have to we have to give it to you. Um, yeah, I played uh, Frank Miller uh, in Band of Brothers and uh, all these one gentlemen. Um, and uh, again, part of playing in a series that brought a lot of people into the history of World War II. You know, so some of you guys are here because of that. And thank you for your support. But it really is about these guys, about this great place, Normandy, where great conflicts happened and they're spearheading to Europe. Um, and again, yeah, great honor to be here. Thank you, guys. And thank you to these fine gentlemen. Thank you, Alex. Peter, before Peter, before you take over, Magali, please, 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 please come. No, no, no. Please come join us. This, she's trying to escape, and I saw her. <laughs> But uh, she is the general manager for the Airborne Museum, uh, this amazing facility. And uh, she has donated this to allow us to use this this evening. So we just wanted to thank you. Would you like to say anything about your amazing museum? <laughs> I will say they're, they're adding an amazing new addition. Uh, you see the crane behind the museum. They're adding an amazing new addition, which is a glider yep. exhibit which will be opening next year. The yeah. grand opening will be in line with the 80th anniversary of D-Day. Yeah. Would you like to say anything else? We will be waiting. Okay. <laughs> Give her a round of applause, please. <laughs> next, we have Peter Youngblood Hills, who played Shifty Powers in the Band of Brothers series. Peter, again, just like Scott, has been to several of our events, huge charitable heart. He's done a lot of good work. Go ahead, Peter. Uh, uh, this works. So, um, yes, he played Shifty Powers, um, Daryl C. Shifty Powers, and he was, um, you know, it's, it's like, wish he was still here, you know, and uh, I, I, I kind of want to remember his daughter, Margo, and she's obviously struggling, I don't know if you all know, Margo Powers, she's uh, one of a kind, and is uh, just a remarkable family. And uh, Clinchco, Virginia, and it's. I think I think about Shifty and, and you know what our relationship is. And I hope that in many ways it's like every day. It's like you think back, you feel that relationship kind of wake you up and kind of go, "Hey, we got got a war to fight," you know, and it's. And, and and that was what Shifty did. He was I was I would I, when I stayed with him, and he woke me up. He, he was like, "Why are you sleeping in? You can't win a war sleeping in." So um, so Shifty had a lot to lot to teach me. He also said that I ate too much, and I'm sorry. I have put on weight. Forgive me. Uh, it's not because of my eating too much, but did Shifty did say? I ate too much, or, or he would have adopted me, and, um, <laughs> and so um, you know that was. <laughs> I, uh, well, I'll I'll try and eat less, Shifty. Um, and uh, anyway, 
I I just want to say, you know, it's it's great to be here, and and these guys are, well, actually every single one of them, and all of you are, are you know wonderful, and uh, you know it's just great to be here. Thank you, Peter. You're good. So next, I'd like to introduce you. We have three, we have many, many important people, including the future president of France, who I'm going to introduce you to. Here, here, uh, here. He said he's only interested if he could be a dictator, right? That's right. That's right. Word for word. But now we get to these three amazing gentlemen and... Uh, I've had the honor of, of knowing Reed Clanton for now for a long time and his lovely wife, Carolyn, is sitting in the front row and they live just outside of San Antonio, Texas. And Reed uh, landed here on Omaha Beach with a 29th division originally. Then later on, uh, further along in the war, transferred over to the 84th division uh, where he was part of a forward observer team. And so they were involved in the Battle of the Bulge and ultimately pushed all the way to the Elbe River, which he has a funny story about that, which we're going to talk about later. So don't go into the whole shebang now and he's safe for later. But uh, he's an amazing gentleman. So if you could, uh, and I'm going to tell just a quick story when you grew up and then you made or two introduce yourself. But uh, Reed grew up in a small town in West Texas. Literally his family at the time, obviously it was during the Great Depression, but literally they lived in a hut that was made of mud bricks. And at the age of 10, so when Reed was in fourth grade, his father brought him in and said, I'm sorry, you can no longer take care of your son. You're going to need to go out on your own and find a job. So at the age of 10 years old, he left home, left school, left home, and he went out and he got a job. And from that point up until uh, not too long ago, he worked and worked and worked. And of course, he was called to serve, which he did valiantly but it's quite an interesting story because i'm not sure that certainly at 10 years old i would have been fit to go out and and get a job so it's just a testament to your you personally and your entire generation and all the hard work that y'all did so go ahead reed my name is reed Patton. i'm from the united states of america San Antonio, Texas. Now I'm going to give a whole address. Social Security. Watch out. Watch out for it. A little close. Okay, can you hear me better now? Yeah. Oh, okay. And like Jeff just said, I've known him for a couple of three years now. He brought me here two times. This is my second time. And I've enjoyed every bit of it. Nice meeting all these people from different countries. You know, England, England, and uh, Belgium, Holland, Germany, and everybody. I've met some real nice, beautiful people. So I want to thank Jeff Wells. What he's doing to help the veterans. He's doing a fantastic job. 
Thank you, Jeff. I could tell that story, but I guess I better not. Oh, we're going to get to it. We're going to get to it. <laughs> Next, we have the honor of Mr. James. He goes by Jim Kelly, who is a British veteran. And one of the most, to me, one of the most intriguing aspects of D-Day in the operation here was the glider side of the of the operation because that's a difficult thing to conceptualize for me anyway getting into a plywood uh plane and being towed all around by a c-47 and eventually being you know the the wires cut in the air and you glide and you work your way in and on the british side of the the invasion uh over by pegasus bridge and ranville in those areas the precision in which those gliders landed was like unbelievable you know 100 meters from the target 200 meters from the target in the middle of the night and to me it's just fascinating and when we met mr kelly and heard that he had been in one of those gliders to me it was just a tremendous honor to get some spend some time we stayed up until midnight last night talking and drinking wine and catching up uh, but he was part of the first airborne part of the royal ulster rifles uh, so he was on the eastern flank of the invasion front so honor for you to be here jim thank you very much my name is Jim Kelly, I'm from uh, Birmingham, England. Came, uh, I joined the army when I was 16. Joined the army when I was 16. And, uh, I landed in France, I was uh, 17. Uh, it was an experience for me. Um, I'm sorry, but uh, I don't remember things, and uh, uh, after the day. From June to September, we were in France, and then uh, we went back to uh, England, get reinforced to uh, join the first uh, airborne division, Tarnham. But by the time we were re-equipped, Tarnham was uh, finished. And because uh, I'd run out of ammunition, couldn't carry on. Uh, but, uh, from France, went back to England and uh, stayed in England till uh, Christmas Eve, 1944. Then we had orders to give us an hour's notice to get ready to go to the Ardennes. Uh, we went by boat. We landed on the Christmas day and through uh, Arnhem, uh, Ardennes. Then he stopped in a place called Venlo in, on the borders of uh, 
Holland in Germany. There, from there, went back to England. Equipped for the flight over uh, over the Rhine. Uh, in Germany, we uh, we did some terrible things because uh, we had orders to. Uh, they said that we were tra uh, traveling about thirty miles a day, marching. They said. Uh, hierarchy said uh, we weren't, weren't going quick enough so they said you're coming to you any vehicles from the germans took the families out of and it was a, it was a terrible thing uh, having to turn elderly people out the youngsters but uh, we had to do it uh, didn't like it, but orders are orders. Then, uh, then we finished up at the town called uh, Langerish. We were going in two o'clock in the morning. They said we were, the excuse was uh, we weren't moving fast enough. They said, they issued us with a phosphorus uh, grenades. They said, if there's any lights in the window, you throw the grenades through. Uh, we were lucky the Germans was fighting that hard. We never arrived there till half past seven. And uh, when we finally got there, all, all the children, I think everybody in our battalion was glad that we hadn't gone in at uh, two o'clock. <laughs> so, and uh, I was never wounded or anything, but we uh, went to finish up with the Russians. We met the Russians at a place called uh, Bismarck. And, uh, they weren't uh, only Russians. We, we couldn't understand. But what, what the Russian commander did was to, they got division of Mongol uh, troops to get in and terrorize the Germans, they were they uh, did some terrible things. They were raping uh, women and young young schoolgirls. Uh, they used we were surprised. They were they used to wear wristwatches all the way up on each arm. And, uh, but we thought they were ordinary uh, Russian troops. Uh, no, they did some terrible things. Yeah. No, war was terrible. Mm -hmm. yeah. Only politicians can start and end wars. 
society don't quite uh, the views would be much different. Um, when, we, uh, when we reach Vismara, the uh, the E day, or the day before the E day, and uh, the uh, sergeants for two times decided we would have uh, football matches. And uh, so I was playing football and I was, I was tripped up. I broke a, a bone in my wrist. And uh, the next morning, it was that swollen. Corporal said, uh, You'll have to go sick. So I said, I'll take all my equipment. He said, No, it'll only be gone an hour. Well, I was. It was two years before I got back to the Italian. Longest <laughs> <laughs> hour I've ever known. <laughs> I come to a normally regular. And I hope to be. I hope to be well. I shall be coming uh, with this uh, American uh, charity. I'll, I've been invited to. Um, the 80s, but uh, I'm looking forward to the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Jim. That was amazing. Next gentleman, Mr. Gilbert Clark. Uh, Gilbert was born in Jamaica, uh, and then he volunteered to join the Royal Air Force, the RAF, and once he joined, I'll let you explain what you did. But uh, for me, it's really cool uh, to meet because there weren't that many troops uh, from Jamaica. Uh, and he, once he, he joined, he came to the United States, and then he hopped on one of the troop ships from the United States over to England, where he then went to work. So uh, go ahead, Gilbert. Yeah, there we go. <clears throat> I was born in Jamaica. <clears throat> Um, in a school about 16 year old. This was a school at 15. But um, the teacher was, was a bright boy. And so I spent one year extra. Anyway, after school, it's time to um, start a job. So within two or three days after leaving school, I was placed in a job, a bookstore, which I hated. I wanted to be a mechanical engineer. And back in Jamaica, people said, you're a <clears throat> Oh boy, got your toes. Anyway, after about a week, I was sent to another um, from a very large um, um, clothing store called Mazupis. They're um, Arabic Jews. But to be employed, you have to learn Arabic 
and the um, we met these um, bit numbers and the prices of items, and we are supposed to learn these um, numbers in Arabic. So when a customer comes in the shop, everyone like bartering those. Um, there's um, English pounds, um, uh, um, so ten and sixpence. So, if you might, um, I give you, um, ten pounds worth, you know. So, I might give um, ten and fourpence. The remainder is put in the slate in your favor. So at the end of the month, all those extra bits is your commission. Anyway, <clears throat> that went on about two, um, two years. And then the leaflet came around the door to join the Royal Air Force. At the same time, the news around the country was that um, new boats were sighted in the Caribbean. So I said, uh, boy, will you do something? So I get the forms, sign the forms, and um, send the forms off. And okay, I passed the test. John Royal Air Force, the volunteer. Let kids it out, trains. Let's use a rifle, how to drill. A bit basic training. That's about um, four weeks. Then sent off to um, America, South Virginia, to join the American forces at a transit camp. Anyway, here we were. And our CEO as a commanding officer told us that this is America, not like um, Jamaica or England. And there's um, segregation. So you've got the um, canteens, which you call over in America the PXs. You got the, the black PXs and the white PXs. We're told not to go in the white places. Anyway, that evening we showed out towards the black places and saw the boys there, the girls dancing to guys in the boat. So in we go, join them. It's quite enjoyable for about two half an hour. So we bored. So out of camp came out and wandered slowly towards the white pages. They were stood outside the canteen. And about what's going on there. Same thing there. Dancing, just about again, jazz. So the 
Любая тянка Лукадас,
the lovely. It's called Butlins. <laughs> yeah, we had sheets in the bed. And then cold water. But a few yards down is a beach. So I said, oh, the Royal Air Force is doing well. <laughs> well, the Army and the Navy sit on blankets <laughs> and hammocks in the bed. <laughs> anyway, it lasted for about a week. <laughs> and then we were posted to what you call the Ara Camp in Hanman Memorial, not far from where we were. These um, billets are huts, we call it listen huts, sort of concave building. Large stove in the middle of the floor, no hot water, no cold water. Outside in the field, one stand of cock, cold water. So I was at the trust, boys, the intermestin, get out there, get the medicine water, put in the stove, heat it up, make a cup of tea or coffee. You want anything else? Heat it up. Do the same thing with the um, best thing. So we set this out with your hot and cold water. Set no lights. This is for to um, toughen you up. And it will be for about um, a week. Then I posted it to Panama Camp in Hanma Memorial. There, other cold water, showers, etc., etc. You start our training. I was trained, I wanted to train as a radar mechanic. So the course started. Most of the um, warrior first um, temple bases were um, selected for. Um, Mechanical training, electrical training, um, or combat training. So we had to do the both sides, both sides, electronics and combat training. Combat training is taught to use a rifle, how to shoot and range, how to use a grenade to know what grenades are by the um, timing and the very color. We have to um, use our gas mask, how to use them, and how not to use them. <laughs> then we put in places like a closed room with gas mask on. Then you're told Right, you're going to be gassed. So in the truck as well, you can see the um, mist coming in here. 
Gilbert, one second, because you're leading up to D-Day, and I'm going to ask you in one second to talk about leading up to D-Day, okay? Is that okay? Can you hold that story for one second? Yeah. yeah. Okay, just one second, because we're going to go and we're going to talk to you three specifically about D-Day, okay? And I want you to tell that story okay. that you're about to tell. All right? Give Gilbert a round of applause. Next, we have, as I mentioned earlier, the future... Uh, Maurice, uh, Maurice met Maurice, I guess, a couple years ago. Uh, he's a very dear friend, T tremendous history. Uh, he's, he's just, uh, done so much for France and for the most importantly, the relationship between the United States and France. Uh, Alexander Renault was the mayor of St. Mary's on D-Day. Maurice is his son. Uh, Maurice was here, although very little on D-Day, but Maurice was here uh, on D-Day when we landed and St. Mary Glees was liberated. Uh, his mother started an organization, which he now is the president of. Uh, it's called AVA. We're several of us here in this room are also members. Uh, they not only have developed and uh, erected several of the monuments around here that are some of the most well-known monuments in Normandy, but Maurice's organization also puts together this amazing slate of D-Day activities every year. And he's, this is like his busiest time of the year. He won't sleep between now and, and uh, June 7th, but he took time out to come out and be part of this. And he also came to Texas last year uh, to be part of our event in Texas. So give this guy a round of applause. I came to Texas last year, but I, I lived in Texas, in Houston, for several years, and I worked there. So I'm a veteran of World War II. But, uh, very, uh, I did not kill anybody, because I was only two years old. <laughs> so I was born on the square, not on the square, but in the, the building of my father pharmacy was on the square, it is still the same place now. You can see it, it's about 200 meters from the church. And I was born in this house during the war. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> when my father went to uh, get the doctor when I was getting born, he was stopped by a German because there was a curfew. He could not go after nine o'clock. But they did a curfew also for the Chinese virus. Where well, we could not go out <laughs> of our house without a special, uh, in France, it was crazy. You had to carry a thing that showed that you were going out of your place since less than two hours. Totally ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, uh, we, uh, we had this, um, uh, my father was a very exceptional man. He was a World War I veteran was born in 1891. Uh, General Eisenhower, who came three times to our house, was born in 1890, one year before. And my uh, father went through <clears throat> the, some of the biggest battles like Ypres, Verdun, and he was, thanks to have taken prisoner at Chemin des Dames because I know Verdun, a really terrible battle. 
and uh, uh, he wrote a book which is uh, dramatic when you read it because the World War One was absolutely awful. I mean, these trenches where they lived was terrible. They they were in the mud. They were they they had not much. Uh, very little to eat, very little to drink, they, they were frozen, they had to attack. I mean, they had to make an attack to make 50 yards. Take the, take the uh, German trench and lose 50% of, of their men. It was absolutely stupid. I mean, it was totally ridiculous the way they were fighting. And uh, so it happened that he after the war, he tried to find a place very quiet, and he decided to buy a pharmacy. Like my mother was from this area. He was not from this area. He was from Vendée, which is south of Brittany, and uh, he decided to buy the pharmacy. He had to be in a very quiet place, not knowing that D-Day would happen right there. So uh, that was a real, a real. Uh, challenge for him, but he was used to combat. So he, he would take care right away of the paratroopers. And as a matter of fact, he saved one from drowning in uh, uh, not far from my house. In the back, there was a large pond. And a guy fell right in the middle of it. And they were loaded with so much so much equipment that he was drowning. He, he, and he, he, he pulled him out of the, of the water. So the, um, he really did a great assistance to the paratrooper. And uh, in the longest day, you see um, uh, the guy who plays Van der Voort. Uh, yeah, the very famous American actor. John Wayne. John Wayne, thank you. <laughs> you know, who broke his leg and so on. And he was he became a very good friend with my dad. Because, uh, matter of fact, in 1963, my dad was invited by the Hundred first airborne. I'm sorry to say for the 87 board, uh, <laughs> to the their convention in uh, San Francisco, and I, I went with him in 1963, and we we met uh, Van der Voort, and he was with the CIA at that time. So I mean, they had a long friendship, and he was awarded. My dad was awarded the Medal of Freedom by the U.S. government. So anyway. Uh, uh, I, I can answer any question you have about what happened on the day here exactly, maybe a little bit different from what you read, but there are some episodes which are, I think, quite interesting. All right. We're, I'm going to ask you in a minute. Nolan Hemmings. Nolan Hemmings uh, played Chuck Grant, Band of Brothers, and uh, honored to have you here, Nolan. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Yes, as uh, Jeff said, I played uh, Sergeant Chuck yeah. and one of the things I want to share with you all about being in that show um, is something that I never realized at the time. You know, we were all just young actors hired by Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks, and we came out to the set and, you know, got stripped clean of any of our Mambi Pambi astronauts, that's my vocabulary pretty quick. And I met all these wonderful guys, some of whom are here, and all these guys I met 23 years ago. And I've been, a, and I was an actor for, for 20 years, and I've had lots of jobs through that time. But no other job ever gave the gift of, of what we had together as that group. You know, we were given a dossier of the characters that we played, and we 
read, you know, Stephen Ambrose's book, Banner Brothers, and we read Nightcrop. And suddenly this whole world opened up to us. You know, we realized what Dido, we all knew what Dido was, you know, who doesn't, but we didn't really understand to the depth that we do now, what we learned during the filming. Because we did the research and we, we dug into it. And then over the last 23 years, we've come back again and again, and we've been here, met so many other vets that aren't easy company, or part of the 506, or part of many other divisions. Um, and and that's been a real, that's been an incredible gift for all of us, I think, because we were a part of something we would never have been a part of if we hadn't been in that show. And so I just, and I, you know, meeting these two wonderful gentlemen this, this time and also um, many others over the years, uh, it's just been an absolute privilege and an honor to, to be a part of something that we were, you know, we weren't, we weren't even born when it happened. And it was a huge part of military history. I mean, the most incredible historic event. Uh, you know, all of these young men came in to win, to take back Europe, you know, between those 11 months from D-Day till V-Day. So, yeah, I just want to say that that's, uh, that's one of the most amazing things about being in Band of Brothers and having shared that with my brothers who I've known for 23 years now. We're all still, all still friends. Um, we have a reunion. We had a reunion a, a few years back before COVID, um, which I hosted in barbecue, and they do it in the States every year. And that's extraordinary, right? That doesn't really happen in lots of acting jobs. And so, yeah, so I just want to say that that is, for me, one of the greatest gifts that's given to be amongst these gentlemen and to hear their stories and to share that experience with them is, uh, is incredible. So I feel very privileged for that. But thank you, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nolan. Uh, Christian Black, uh, part of Band of Brothers, also. Uh, a world-renowned photographer who is working on a whole bunch of really cool projects right now and took some time out to come join us. So thank you, Christian. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, played Walter Hendrick from Band of Brothers. Um, and yeah, you just said uh, I, I now am um, still photographer in the movie industry. Um, I shoot on Mission Impossible and Star Wars and things like that. Um, yeah, not much more to say. Uh, everyone said everything I was... Hoping to say, but we started to really on the set of Band of Brothers too. That's when we started. Yeah, I started taking pictures on the set of Band of Brothers. Mm. I was already a photographer outside of that industry, mm. but um, I, I started taking photos on set, and um, I saw the still photographer working on set. I thought that's a job already, and now that's what I'm doing. So um, yeah, but you know, I just want to say thank you everyone for coming. Thank you, Jeff, and it's great to see all you guys again. All right, so now we're going to go around and ask a few questions, uh, just some follow-up. And I'm going to go back to Maurice uh, real quick because we talked. We were actually out on the square the other day, and you were telling some stories about some of the paratroopers as they landed. You know, they landed all over the place. And you mentioned a couple specific stories about some that landed in very unique places and then the responses that the Germans had. So I wanted to see if you could – I thought they were really interesting. I want to see if you could elaborate on a couple of the stories. Yes. So, you know, uh, on the square – uh, when I was a kid, and, uh, many years before, there were very tall trees, uh, plane trees and chestnut trees. Uh, and the mayor, I'm not going to give his name, had a very bad idea to cut the street. They were, they were trees which were paratroopers landed in. 
and seven paratroopers got caught in the trees and they were shot by the Germans at, at blank point, point blank. Point, point blank. And at first time, they did not take any prisoner. Now, the only prisoner made such magazines was John Steele, who landed on the steeple. And he was, he was saved because the, uh, there were three Germans who were with a machine gun in the steeple of the church. And when I was a kid, I was going to paint the steeple of the church, and there were still the uniforms of the German soldiers in the steeple there. We did not pay attention because we are not interested in that, but I mean, it, it was amazing. So these three Germans were in the steeple, and they saw John Steele. They were two, actually, there were two paratroopers who landed in the steeple, but we talked mainly about John Steele, whom I met. Uh, and I knew well because he came three times here and I stayed once with him in Fort Bragg. He lived near Fort Bragg, near Fayetteville. Uh, stayed once in his house for about three days. But uh, they, they saw him stuck with, the, with his parachute. He could not go down. And, but they did not shoot him because they were afraid the other paratroopers would notice that they were in the steeple. So they they pulled him up and they took him prisoner. Now there is another scene which was uh, like a Texan scene. Uh, one one paratrooper was coming around the church. It was at night. You got to remember it was night. I mean, except the the light from the from the fire, which took place exactly where the Airborne Museum entrance is, right there. Uh, I'll, I'll mention something about that a bit later. The, uh, uh, this, German, this American paratrooper was walking around, and then a German was there, saw him, and shot him. And he, he received a bullet in his stomach. He was not dead. But he fell down. The German thought he was dead, and he, then he was going to shoot John Steele. But the American paratrooper, still alive, took his gun and shot the German. Can you believe the scene? I mean, it's a real cowboy scene, you know, I mean, crazy. So, coming back to this fire, which was here, it's, it's a, a subject which uh, I'm questioning since many years. How come this fire happened exactly one hour before they landed? I, I don't believe in coincidence. I'm convinced, but I have no proof to say that, that it was paratrooper, uh, you know, uh, how do they call the, the um, guys who jumped before the others? Pathfinder. Who probably threw a grenade, or I don't know what, in the bomb there, to, to, to uh, spot the, uh, uh, spot the, as a matter of fact, the 505 regiment, which was supposed to liberate St. Maragliese, was about the only regiment which was which landed at the place where they were supposed to land because everybody got completely lost, you know. And uh, so there is a question there. And uh, during this episode, one paratrooper fell right in the middle of the fire, and he exploded with his ammunition. 
it was very dramatic. So my dad was with the firemen at that time to try to extinguish the fire. But the Germans were there. Because the German, the German commandant was exactly the uh, big house, which is uh, 100, 100 yards from the entrance of the museum. So they were right in, in, in the middle of the action. And uh, uh, another, another uh, thing happened to the people who were trying to uh, extinguish the fire. One paratrooper fell in one tree which was close to the entrance of the Airborne Museum. And the German did not notice him. So the French were trying to not pay attention to him, not to give alarm the Germans. But one saw him, and he shot him like that. He did not take him prisoner. I mean, that was, they were not Nazi troops. They were not SS. They were regular German troops. And they, they really, I mean, they behaved terribly. And uh, uh, so this, this poor guy was shot also. But they were, in the morning, when, when my brothers and my father went out, there were seven paratroopers hanging dead in the tree. I mean, that was really terrible. Mm. So that's it. Well, <laughs> Maury says amazing stories. In just a second, I'm going to ask you about some of the D-Day activities right. in just a second. I'd like to go around uh, to the Band of Brothers guys just for a minute or two and just talk a little bit about your character, maybe what your, your character meant to you and maybe the legacy of your character. Just kind of talk about specifically what that experience was like. Did you get to meet them at any point? You know, that sort of thing. So go ahead, Peter, if you don't mind. <coughs> Yeah, I didn't. Oh, microphone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't meet uh, the company involved, or um, at the time I wasn't introduced to it. But I kind of approached basically Donald from the point of view of what was written about him, particularly by Webster in his book. Um, and I said before, we basically, as I, as I read it, as I understood it. Donald was one of those young men who loved war. Trying on violent action in a vicious way, but he was just fascinated by this by the the awe of it and the extraordinary nature of it. And he would Webster would say that when they would go to bed at night, um, they'd leave Donald sitting on a tank watching the war in the distance. He was fascinated by it. And so the way I approached his character was not really, he wasn't somebody who was deeply conflicted, but someone who was very much passionate about being there. I mean, as I've grown older, I thought about it again, I thought maybe I was acting as a very naive young man, playing a naive young man. <laughs> maybe I missed things, but maybe that's the point to go answer. But for me that was, because not everybody who fights a war is political or um, or they're necessarily for a specific um, purpose, a greater purpose. They're there because they're, because they're there to fight and they're there to, to make the most. And they're there basically for their brothers, for the people around them. You know, that's the thing that comes back again and again and again from other soldiers, from what I've heard from other soldiers and people that fought, is that you fight for the people around you. So that's how I approach them. Um, 
And I, you know, I hope it was in some way sensible. Uh, right. So, uh, uh, so I was cast really, really late, about two days before boot camp. Um, so I have absolutely no idea of the scope of the project. I had no idea of the size. I have no idea who was involved. All I knew, I had to go get some boots from somewhere and break them in, and then go to boot camp and get shouted out for ten days. Uh, and I didn't really know anything about the character or anything. They gave us, like, I think no one said they gave us a dossier or anything that they could, anything that they could dig up on, the, on your characters. But I mean, it's, we're 23 years on and we're still learning about these guys. Like, even through all these podcasts and getting together and learning with historians and touring and stuff, you, you're actually still learning about stuff. Um, but, so I, I got this dossier of, of for, for Tab. Um, and sort of bumbled through the first episode, a little bit funky. And then right before the third episode kicked off, uh, I was on set, and a guy called Joe, who I think was, was he did all the props, didn't he, Joe? Mm, yeah. Uh, he was crazy mad into all the history and stuff. And I think he, he managed to track down Tab's brother. And right before the start of the, of the first scene in, in episode three, where I find Blythe, well, me and Shifty find Blythe, actually. Uh, I was handed a phone, and it was Tab's brother. And I'd gone from sort of clunkily trying to feel my way in. I, I suddenly was talking to the brother of this guy, who was he was the most mild-mannered, most wonderful voice. Uh, and he, he he just, we just started having this conversation. About what he, and I was just trying to get as much information as I could, what he was like, and all this stuff. And I had a whole way of approaching how to do that beginning scene in episode three. And if you watch it back, you'll just see that I'm kind of like wide-eyed by this the whole time. Like, hey, Blythe. Because I was just completely blown away. Uh, and it knocked me off center completely. Um, and and I don't know whether I ever really, I don't know if any of us really got to grips with the gravity of what we were doing. And if you really thought about it, it did knock you off completely. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it's, it, it's amazing, but it, once you start doing stuff like talking to their brothers or, or, or whatever, or, or their wives, or this kind of stuff, it's, it's so overwhelming uh, that all you can really do is like, it's like Pete just said there, it's just trying to find something to focus on and just, and just go for that. And with Tab, he was, he was supposed to be the nicest, nicest of guys, and was thought, you know, he was a very, very, very good soldier. And the nicest of the guys, I, I just kind of focused on that. Because all, all the rest of it, when you learn about everything else, is so overwhelming, it's very difficult to deal with. Hey, Matt, uh, yes, sir. before you... You mentioned boot camp. Can you elaborate for a second on what that was? Yeah, well, depending on the... <laughs> depending on who you are, uh, whether you are someone like Peter and myself, or if you are Rick Warden, it lasted 10 days or it lasted 6 months <laughs> uh, of, of Gulag, which he still does fully come out 23 years, in 23 fact. Years, yeah. a, part of, a part of Rick Warden is still in boot camp. What would you like to know exactly, Jeff? Uh, just about boot camp. 
Okay, uh, well, anybody can jump in here as well, or they'll just chime in as we go. Um, it, I'll hold it out so if they remember, innit? Um, I. It's time to do great jobs. You weren't allowed phones or. No, no, none of that. So, I wrote a letter. You had to write letters. I got some letters from you guys. Yeah, so. Which was a genuinely. From the heart. I just remember all the American actors were fine and you guys were throwing up all your bodies. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true! No one was fine, I remember no one being fine. I loved it, I loved it, absolutely. There was just as many American actors who were actors. Yes, aren't very good at that. struggled. And they couldn't have the newspapers, they couldn't have their phone, and they yeah. couldn't reach their agent. Yeah. So they were really pissed off. <laughs> the other rest of us were a bit like, yeah, we're actors, but we're doing, this is something else. You Got really into characters. Yeah, we were All I'll say is for the first week, it was an absolute, excuse my French, clusterfuck. Like, it was <laughs> a whole bunch, it was like, it was carnage. It was a whole bunch of guys running around, with no idea what they're doing, getting woken up at 4.30 in the morning, supposed to go Kicked on drills. Up. But shooting rifles because the cowboys and Indians are absolute mess. We don't know what we're doing. Uh, we sort of we had parades. We were doing all this kind of stuff. We were fumbling through it. We had to remember all the all, all, all the, the rifle stuff. We had to remember twelve reading. Yeah. What were they called? The special orders. Something orders. Yeah. Yeah. That's but twelve special. We had to remember. I all didn't that. remember on about day eight. Every morning we used to fall in for God damn it, Shifty, I could kill you. Every morning we have to fall in for parade, and Shifty was always late, and I would get blamed for you every single oh. day. We <laughs> <laughs> fall in for parade, and, and Captain Die would, well, come on, here's a company, and all this kind of stuff. And, do this and he, on about day eight or nine, I don't know what it was, someone had clicked with all of us. Yeah. And I remember him walking along, and he obviously we were all suddenly he was just like, God damn. You got that catch me, kill me, fuck me, look in your eyes. <laughs> finally, I'm getting aroused, you should jump me. I think finally by then, finally by then, we'd, we'd sort of dropped the crap yeah. and we just, I don't know, like, also around that eco, time. like we were just kind of like driven to be like, we had the butlers kicked out. Around that time as well, we all went in as, as private, right? We were absolutely. We were absolutely kind of like at the bay at the base, right? Winters, I mean, Damien, everyone, um, and so we had to build up that trust. We had to work together. We were all equals at the beginning. They didn't go. We didn't go in as like I wasn't a staff sergeant when I went in. He wasn't captain, uh, and oh, you know, captain winners, and then obviously after that. But um, so by day, I think it was around at the eighth day, the promotion started happening. So we started to see like, oh, this is going to be the rank for the shoot this is where we are so it was quite interesting to see how we had all come together there was a hierarchy we had we had figured that out and they they drummed us that into us you know we, we did night patrols we got no sleep six mile runs every morning 4 a.m we had to remember the tw what is it the special orders the 12 is it the 12 special orders whatever it is i mean there was like a whole list if you were doing if you were like at night standing there doing night, night patrol or night watching, you're making sure everything's cool and no one's, you know, you're looking after your men who are sleeping. You'd come in and they'd say, what's the sixth special order? And you'd have to remember that. And if you didn't, you're down on the ground, 100 press-ups. 
And I mean, the amount of press-ups we did, because, you know, where's your rifle? I was like, uh, you know, and you had your rifle. You had that one, your serial number. If you didn't look after that thing, we had to have shiny corcoran boots, like similar to these, the paratroopers' boots. You know, we had to have them spotless. We're always scrubbing boots and, you know, wearing them in the bath to soften them because they killed your feet because it was really hard leather. But, you know, all of that stuff really mattered. It really made us, we had, a, we had our, you know, our weapon and we had our boots and we had our, our, our mates and we only had each other and we were so battered by the end that we were like, you know, that, that's really made a big difference. It made a big difference. <laughs> so, so, we were in the barracks and uh, Scott Gibson's going to tell us about the uh, Pacific boot camp. One more question before Scott takes over. Who of all of you could do the most push-ups? Neil McDonough. Neil McDonough. Neil McDonough for no sure. No question. He would do push-ups with people doing push-ups. Yeah, yeah. I'll do it with you. He'd make, us, <laughs> all, he'd make us all go down. Someone would go down. He'd go down. Yeah. He'd go, he'd go, he'd go, he'd go. He's like, come on, easy. Everybody, we'd all do it. And we'd sometimes like, <laughs> <laughs> George Khalil. No. McDonough was kind of a big old action Scott, what about your Captain Haldane experience? Yeah, our boot camp was blood hurt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> How long was it? <laughs> it's not the length. <laughs> <laughs> it's never the length. It's all going now. Uh, yeah, ours was in, in uh, far north Queensland in Australia, and um, we didn't have barracks in there and tents. And, but with all due respect to here, I, uh, I, from what I can say about Andy and how I approached Andy is all the research material I got and read. I got all his letters to uh, the college, Bowdoin College, um, the letters to the dean, the letters to the, to the coach of the football team, and then I was privileged to uh, be aware of some of his personal letters. And, that's how I approached Andy, knowing him. Uh, that whole series could have been about Andy. And uh, just a couple of stories on Cape Gloucester, where he received the Silver Star. Um, he received the Silver Star because he survived, he and his company, um, I think six bayonet charges on this yeah. hill on, on Cape Gloucester. And one of the men that was with him, uh, was James Anderson, might have been his runner. Bonsai charges, right? Bonsai? Bonsai charges. Yeah. And they were completely outnumbered, and it ended up being hand-to-hand -hand combat. And this gentleman wrote, and there's a, a, a Marine Reserve, um, Garrett Shostrowski, who's writing the book about Andy. He's finished the man manuscript. It'll come out, I think, next year. And this gentleman wrote about um, Andy that he, you know, they made it to the top of this hill, outnumbered by the Japanese, and became hand-to-hand -hand combat. And he looked down the line, and Andy had his forty-five in one hand and his K-bar in the other. And he had the graphic at this point. He had saw him put his K-bar through a Japanese soldier, Japanese Imperial Army, which were the elite. Of the Japanese, like bigger, stronger, tougher, etc., and so forth. 
And this gentleman said, and he put his knife through him and flipped him off the knife like he was throwing a football. So you juxtapose that with the letters that he wrote to the Dean's College. And he was just so eloquent, poetic, emotional about the men that he led. Everything he said was about the men that he led. And another story was that on the line on Peleliu, um, which you see a little bit in the movie, there was a soldier that freaks out, and it's, it's a little bit different, but he had this experience with someone on the line who freaked out. And he went up to this guy to talk to him, and this young private just beat him right in his nuts. And Andy went down, and he got back up, and he just told, just, just take him back, just take him back. And I think it was the same guy, James Anderson. And his runner said, you know, why didn't you, you didn't do it, you know, you just sent him back, or just like, you didn't do anything. He said, that could have been any one of us. And then he just walked away. So to read all that material about that person and the way he was and everything that he did was he was looking through his own men's eyes, which I think these gentlemen, their experience, um, want to know and talking to them everything. In any other veteran, it was about the guy beside them. And that was it. And that's how I approached that, uh, Andy. Thank you. Yeah, so um, yeah, going quickly back to boot camp, it was also, funnily enough, it was on a, an active uh, army base. Uh, so when we were sort of marching around, serving soldiers, mocking us, which quite amusing, quite surreal for them, and for us. But, um, anyway, uh, yeah, so back to the, sort of the characters. Um, yeah, I played Frank Mallet. Um, didn't know too much about him. I sort of was, was cast sort of later on in the series, and uh, only really started to find out more about him after the show, really. Um, I had a little bit of information uh, when I was sort of giving my scripts and uh, going over character characterization, uh, but only really started to, to dive into it uh, much, much sort of later on um, and sort of find out things uh, about, about Frank and who he was. And it was like a little journey of discovery for me, which was quite emotional. Uh, and I think really, really spurred on by my grandfather serving stories that he had, meeting, you know, veterans like this or these guys, it kind of spurs you want to find out and, and, and dig more into, into these people. And like Matt says, we are finding more and more out about these guys as, as time goes by, which is, which is incredible. Um, so yeah, yeah, Frank was the same age as me uh, when I was filming, 23 years old. 
similar heritage uh, as me, uh, an Irish uh, and Italian background as well. And um, yeah, from New York, and his, you know, his, his journey unfortunately ended last night in Foy. So, uh, so a little nice little trip that I made with my wife. I, I managed to find out a bit about his family, where he was born in Long Island, and um, went to visit his, his grave in Long Island Cemetery because he repatriated back in the U.S. because his brother died in Papua New Guinea. So they they managed to take both brothers back. And the, I only found this out when I visited Frank's grave. And as I stood at Frank's grave, I looked next door, and there was his brother's grave right next to him. Hmm. Didn't know this at all. Again, a little bit of discovery, um, which was very emotional. Um, found out where he lived. So I visited his house. I stood outside his house with my wife. We are on our honeymoon. And the young man's come out of this house and obviously asked, what are you doing? Staring at my house. And I said, well, there's a, a character I played uh, in a series called Band of Brothers. Uh, he was born in this house. Um, and, you know, we got talking. He was he sort of warmed up by that point. And he said, well, what was his name? And I said, well, his name was Frank Mellet. Um, and he said, Mellet is a, is a, is a playground just around the corner called the Mallet Memorial Playground. And he, was, he never knew that Frank had lived in this house, and he never knew that this playground was named after the two brothers that never came back. So it's it's kind of like a full circle. I kind of, in a way, in my head, brought Frank back around, back home to his neighborhood. And then, again, education. You know, I learned something that day this young man learned something that day, and the cycle repeats itself, and, and history goes on. And that's kind of the message that we're on about, is that we're learning stuff, we always will do, and we've got to keep that going. So. Thank you, Alex. I'm going to, Peter, hold on one second, if you could, one second, hold that thought. I'm going to go, Maurice, uh, who literally runs the entire D-Day week. And by the way, this bag, if this bag were to ever disappear, D-Day week would be over we're because everything, <laughs> everything for D-Day week is in that bag, but he has an event, a whole bunch of events tomorrow. So I'm just going to ask him before we continue with Peter, I'm going to ask him just to give an overview of the next few days, what events are coming uh, and the things that he's organized here in St. Mary Glees well, uh, and surrounding areas. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> next, uh, Tomorrow we have the, um, wait a minute, what do we have? So we have the banquet, the AV, AVA banquet tomorrow night with 500 people. Usually we had 1,000 people, but this time we're, we're reduced because we're under a tent, which is a long story. I'll make it short. We are 500 people. And uh, majority of people at the banquet are Americans. They're Americans. There are more than 250 Americans there. And we have big VIPs, American, namely General Millet, General Lanive, 82nd Airborne, whom you saw maybe if you were at our cocktail party, and uh, General Donahue, General Cavoli, with the head of NATO, 
and uh, U.S. Air Force General Forster, <laughs> I don't know him, but his name is Langley, and uh, plenty of, of other people. Uh, Ellen Patton, uh, the daughter of General Gavin, who was the uh, who was the uh, leading the 82nd Airborne with General Ridgway on D-Day, and uh, the next day we have uh, the parachute drop. Hopefully, but apparently it doesn't look good. I mean, they don't know, but I mean, this kind of weather they cannot jump. Period. So uh, we don't know. And in the in in the afternoon we have on our uh, memorial site, which is at Lafierre. Lafierre is west of Sainte Marie Glise, about two miles. That's where the very terrible battle of Lafierre took place for a small bridge, which is uh, less than one third of this. And because uh, the tanks, the German tanks were on the other, were on the other side of of the marshes, which at that time were completely covered with water. So the causeway was the only way to come to Sainte Marie Glise. The Germans sent tanks to cross this bridge, and one guy, Mark, Marcus Heim, with a bazooka, which was not really that efficient, succeeded to stop the two tanks which blocked the bridge. And uh, if they had been able to go through this bridge, we would have been in terrible shape here. They would have probably burned down the old town. So uh, uh, this place we have, we, uh, my association uh, founded by my mother, where 50 years ago we bought the land, which is overlooks the Battle of Lafierre, and we built the uh, several monuments. One is Iron Mike, a copy of what's in... Uh, at Fort Bragg, and uh, uh, several all kinds of plaques and so on. It's a really uh, uh, exceptional site. As a matter of fact, uh, the U.S. Army consider it as the uh, most emblematic si site with Point du Hoc, uh, which is very, very well known. So uh, if you have time, go there because it's worth to see it, really. There is the history of the battle and uh, a special. And on on June six, we will do a special tribute to General uh, Gavin, with his one of his mother, uh, his uh, sisters being there. And uh, you, if you wish to come, you can. It's public. It's open. There will be no traffic regulations over there. Yeah, they're a little bit crazy about the traffic system. I mean, in the town, it's really terrible. But uh, over there on June 6, it will be okay. And we'll have uh, 50 soldiers from the 82nd Airborne. Uh, of course, the uh, Color Guard and so on. But also we'll have bagpipers from Scotland. So for the people who are British or Scottish, you've got to come. And uh, uh, the uh, so that's on June six, but on June on June five, just behind the museum here, you have the new of uh, new. I mean, it was put in place last year of General Theodore Roosevelt Jr., which is just uh, at the uh, um, 
how do you call it the circle yeah uh, uh, right behind the the and we'll have a ceremony there with several uh, uh, the uh, national commander of the American Legion and uh, uh, the General Millet will be there too and uh, so it's going to be an interesting ceremony uh, June 6 we have um, as I said La Fiere and what else uh, we, we we do so many things I don't remember. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most of it. Got most of it. No, but I think in the evening of June five we do something. We'll post. We can post a schedule. Uh, I have your yeah, full schedule. Yeah. We'll post your full schedule. Uh, After the, the banquet here on uh, on uh, tomorrow night. Tomorrow is Saturday, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, we have a big fireworks. Uh, spectacular fireworks around ten o'clock, and um, and I, I'll do some little advertising. Uh, if you uh, for my association, because we always, you know, to do the, the banquet, we are not even trying to make money because we always invite the veterans. They are always, as a matter of fact, they are always. They ne of course, they are not charged at all. We. Sometimes we had 100 veterans, so they never pay, and we are very pleased to have them uh, with us. And uh, you will be there, gentlemen, and we'll, you will be put in place of honor. And uh, we have uh, uh, a beer stand, which is AVA Friends of American Veterans, where you can have the best beer in France. <laughs> for the same price as anywhere else <laughs> and and uh, so go there it's right there near, near the alright he drives across all of France telling people that beer story best beer in France I, I know you have to get out of here but thank you right. Maurice for thank being you. part of this and thanks for organizing such a great great series of events so we're going to go Peter and then I'm going to go back to the World War II guys. We'll go back to the World War II guys. Uh, and yeah, thank you, Maurice. We'll see you tomorrow. So go ahead, Peter. Just asking about your character quickly, because I want to get to some questions, uh, if you could. And I know you're very passionate about Shifty. I've been talking. I know you are. I know. So, well, if you want me to. Um, so, I, yeah, just a little bit about Shifty. Well, Shifty was, I tell you what, um, he was a very humble man. Why was he called Shifty? Well, he was Shifty on the basketball court. Good question. There wasn't anything else. He was Shifty on the basketball court, and he, he would, uh, yeah, he, he taught me, he, he, he brought me to his home and, 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 and sat me down with his M1, and, uh, and taught me how to shoot it, and uh, he laid me down. And, he was, and and I wonder what he was thinking. You know, he was like, "Who is this? Who is this? Who is this guy who's gonna, you know, play me?" Uh, but but the reality is, I, I think what it comes down to. And I've thought about this a lot. It's like, how do we, you know, how we come together? Um, but something, I think both me and Shifty was a faithful man. And as I've grown older, I've, I've become much more deeply faithful. And, um, you know, what brings us together? 
essentially, uh, you know, in God, and and uh, he was Baptist. Shifty was Baptist, and you know, I think that for me, there's something about, and it goes back to this. Just it goes back to this uh, the the boot camp experience um, when we're we're doing the night watch. And we have to, we have to look through this little hole at this at, at this at the street corner and at the the town that was built up. We have to, we have like two hours of looking in this hole, and to look at who's coming to attack us. And we're sitting there, and we have two hours, and then we we wake up the other guy, and they're going to do two hours too. And I'm like, this is the hardest thing. I I mean, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I'm like looking out this little hole, and I don't know what to do with myself. I've always, you know, I've just been watching TV and trying to figure out, you know, the next second. This is two hours of staring into, at, you know, is someone coming to attack me? And I think when it comes down to it, it's that idea of the the night watchman. It's like who's watching out after us? And I think about that, and I think about the the the, the faith. That brings us together, and um, and just that idea that we've got, you know, we got backup. You know, it's that idea that you know, really, at the end of the day, there there are people who care, and there are people who love, and 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 that's what I I can sense. Yeah, thank you, Peter. All right, so next question, Reed, and, and uh, just a couple minutes because I, I want to for each of you because I want to open it up to some questions from the audience. But if you could just as best you can, whatever you're comfortable with, uh, provide your recollection of D Day and, and the actions on on D Day, maybe starting. When you got on the boats, uh, on the Higgins boats, when you're out in the channel, it's on. It's on. Oh, okay. There you go. Well, this is a uh, before the eight, and uh, we had boarded a ship out of New York and heading for uh, Liverpool, England, and uh, we knew we were pretty close to the. D Day then, and uh, D Day come around, and uh, we uh, landed on a big ship out in the channel to a little hanging boat to head for the beach. They head for the beach, and uh, it was real raining, cold, and wet. Everything and uh, I could go on and on, I guess. Go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> I'm gonna cut it off. And uh, I did land in D Day during the six. All right, Reed, thank you. Jim, 
your recollection? There's nothing I can say. Uh, uh, it's with, uh, when we landed, uh, when we were doing practice fights, uh, it was a double. Nothing went wrong. But uh, the actual uh, landing, uh, Every glider didn't land on a level ground. And uh, we were uh, supposed to uh, exit the tail, which was held by uh, U boats, which we, when we ran the uh, level ground, were easy to operate. Do that easily, but then, but when you were uh, actually in, in battle, like we landed uh, at a five, 45 degree angle, which was entirely different. The U bolts were uh, all twisted, so we had to uh, use an axe and cut uh, our way out. Uh, uh, although it was plywood, it seemed to take hours to finally get through. Uh, and then the thing was, uh, you could see the bullets flying about, and uh, everybody was trying to just uh, concentrating on getting these vehicles out and with all the ammunition, uh, the jeeps and the trailers. Um, we finally made it and, uh, and there's not, not a lot I can say. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, wa I wanted to mention one thing because you told me last night and I'll just, I'll mentioned my you can comment on it but you said that when you're a kid growing up you used to watch western movies and things like that and you'd see the actors in the movies get shot and there'd be a little blood and whatnot so you went into combat thinking go ahead pick it up from there yes i went into combat uh, people said uh you're frightened i said no because watching these uh American uh, westerns and uh, war films where uh, they got uh, they got shot and there was very little blood. Mm. Uh, the next day they would uh, they got the arms in a sling. The next day it was right as rain. My idea of war. And uh, I went into uh, battle. People said, uh, was, you, was you frightened? I said, no. That <coughs> anyone who landed on D-Day who said they were, weren't frightened was a liar. I said, I wasn't a liar. I just, I've got this conception of being shot, 
nothing else happened. And uh, that got me through. I never realised I got out the uh, fly there. But uh, I saw the deadline about. I realised uh, it was entirely different to uh, what I thought. I grew up. Uh, I grew up in about five minutes. Uh, yeah, that's unbelievable, Jim. That's uh, you're you're all of you guys. We could be enthralled for the next twenty four hours uh, listening to the three of you and your stories, Mr. Gilbert. What was your recollection of D Day? Um, where were you and what were you doing on, on D-Day? D-Day, we went to workshop, as usual, repairing damage, restoring equipment, like radios, computers, and so on. And while we were there, we heard loud and droning noise. Getting louder and louder. They said to her, um, Sergeant, what's that? I said, no, no, they look through the window. I guess these planes in there, in hundreds. You couldn't see the blue skies, it's all black, different planes. Large ones, small ones. So I said, there's in the class, the boys, I think it started. What started? D Day. So we all looked at each other right here, and someone showed it them, Give them hell, boys. <laughs> and um, he said, At least we think the war will soon be over. At that time, when we were still um, preparing bits and pieces to dominate crap, the um, equipment to workshop, repair them, and send them back to the planes. Because at that time, England was very, very low and material. To be trying to salvage everything. And I say again, thanks to American cousins for the price. But we know that I don't think either of us will be here. We could mass produce those <coughs> like holy aircrafts, <coughs> like, um, I first I'll come up line. All those um troop ships, the uh, are not the um transport ships, liberty boats they call them. Hundreds. So we love them. I don't think either of us will be here today. Mm. So say again, thanks to American presence. Thank you. Thank you.
All right. Well, uh, we're going to take just a couple questions, uh, if that's okay. Uh, what well, we have just a few minutes left, and obviously wanted to take a few more. But uh, Xander, go ahead in front, and then we'll go back next. I got a question for all the three veterans. What is the best advice you could give my generation and uh, advice to the next generations that are upcoming? What is like the best advice you could give us? Well, I, I would say number one was have a lot of faith in God and uh, go your way, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what to advise uh, give anyone. Uh, uh, if you can't do anything worse, what was the question? What advice would you give the younger generation? What advice would you give the younger generation? Oh, that one. I do every not again at school lectures. Join something like boys clubs, girl guides, sea cadets, volleyball cadets, and keep off the streets because that's very short stuff. Well said, Gilbert. All right, next question. Uh, first, I'd like to say thank you to the veterans for sharing your, your time with us. It's, it's a privilege and an honor to share a room with you tonight. Uh, thank you, especially in, in spite of how you might have been treated based on your skin color or ethnicity in that time and your incredible acts. Thank you. And second, thanks to Walk Among Heroes and We Happy Few 506 uh, for bringing this together tonight. Um, I'm sad that We Happy Few 506 has to exist, but I know firsthand that it needs to exist and helping soldiers with their food needs or medical needs. It's, it's pitiful that it needs to happen, but I'm so grateful that you do it. And so thank you um, to the veterans. I, I can't, we can't ask anything more of you. Thank you for everything you've done uh, for the artists and actors. I'm curious if there's something that as you've encountered this great generation, either through a camera lens or through a script or learning from them or their families or their history, if there's something you found very interesting or valuable that you found difficult to express uh, through whatever medium you, you use. Let's start with Christian uh, because Christian and Nolan were cut short on the last one. So we'll start with the two of you, uh, if you wouldn't mind answering this. Uh, 
The one thing that definitely for all of us, because you know, when you're playing war, as, uh, as Roger Mack did, it does feel very real in the moment, so it's filmed when you're filming. You know, you've got you know, machine guns going, 30 cows going, people running left and right. Yeah, it's a choreograph, but when the chaos commences and it kicks off, you're running through a field and you've had all these flags there all day showing you where the border pops are, where things are going to blow up, and then that's quite obviously run over those because, you know, you're not going to die, but you're gonna, it's going to hurt. Um, and so all of that chaos, so that really, you really do, you know, you really feel it in that moment, the chaos of war. One thing you can't ever feel is the death, what's going on around in a real war situation, real projectiles flying out, whipping past, things going, guys getting shot next to you. Because there's all squibs and all that stuff and it looks real to the camera, but the reality is, you know, you know, you know it's not. So I think, you know, that is the thing you can't really ever understand. You can never really feel that threat of your life, your brother's dying next to you, bleeding out, uh, people's, you know, just horrific, horror, just horrors, horrors of war. You never feel that. And I, I think that's the one thing as an actor you never But yeah, so there is a big difference between portraying something and being the real deal. What else does that mean? Yeah, I, I just like to add that Nolan and I are in this, uh, enter the concentration camp. And that that scene was the hardest, probably the hardest scene I ever had to do. Uh, you know, because we're kind of like, I was trying to figure it out. I was like, going, well, how much do I let my guard down when you come into this sort of situation where you see you know, something that you've never seen before? And what is would a soldier actually, you know, put there? Would they would they drop down, drop their weapons? You know what I mean? How would they approach a situation still alert that maybe something's going to happen and they're going to be, you know, ambushed or attacked or something like that? And so, as an actor, you're trying to figure out the emotion, and uh, you're watching, you know, things that ultimately are kind of unspeakable. And, uh, but then you're also a soldier. I mean, that's what you're trying to play these two. Uh, and it's kind of like, that was really hard. And, and Nolan, I, you know, we, we walk down and we meet one of these, uh, we meet one of these prisoners, we meet, and, and, we, and we, we confront, and it was actually a, a robot. Yeah. You know, that was, it was an animatronic. It was interesting if you ever see it, because it's actually not a real person. It's so thin. Just so thin that they made a rope. They made a robot, and and we're and we're just. But I think that was probably when we're you know confronted with that. It's kind of. It's just, and it stays with me. I mean, it's it's just stayed with me my whole, whole life. I mean, I mean, this is the this is the, um, Nolan. His character, he got down and gave water. Uh, you know, that was his response. I dropped my weapon. I mean, that was all I could do. But it's like, what do you do? You know, when you're confronted with something that has no words for it. And, and, and that's, I think, for me, that's, that's probably, I think, if there's, if there's one thing, and why the episode's called Why We Fight, um, 
one thing. I just, you know, there's certain things, certain territories you do, you know, that there are no, no words for. And, uh, and, you know, and I look back and I look at Nolan, I'm like, you know, I'm happy to know that we were in that scene together, you know, and, and that he's, you know, he gave water to that, you know, and that, that matters. It's like in that moment, that's, that's humanity. Okay. Thank you, Peter. And thank you, Nolan. Couple, couple final comments and we're going to, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, it's been an honor, a privilege to spend some time with you guys. Uh, it's reminds me very much of being in the military in terms of the camaraderie that y'all have. Like when you all arrived yesterday and you were hugging and, and uh, talking to each other, it was like, reminded me of seeing soldiers that hadn't seen in a little while that we served with. And when you're in the military, you work on go you're at a duty station or you go, you're deployed and then you go off to someplace else. You may not see each other for a couple of years. Then you come back and it's just like you saw each other yesterday and seeing you all come back together reminded me very much of, of being in the military. Uh, for these gentlemen here, seeing the three of you react together and talk together. And we had dinner last night and it's really cool to see because at the end of the day, we were all allies, but we had one who grew up in Jamaica, one who grew up in Birmingham, in Great Britain, one who grew up in West Texas. Uh, during the war, obviously, our allies, we had few differences here and there, you know, uh, but to see the three of you come together and interact the way that you did just brought joy to all of our hearts, everybody that was in that room last night, everybody that's in this room tonight. So it was really an amazing thing. One person that I didn't mention earlier that I would like to meet, uh, just all of you to know who he is. Uh, he's sitting right here. His name is uh, Mike Loggy, and Mike served in the army, uh, retired from the army. And in 2007, uh, he was deployed to Iraq and his vehicle was completely destroyed uh, by an ambush and it killed every single person in his vehicle aside from him. And uh, 30% of his body was, was burned. He lost his hand and met Mike maybe like 10 years ago or so. And ever since then, he's, since he was injured, he's dedicated himself, went through a lot, you know, mentally and otherwise, but he's dedicated himself towards helping others and giving back, which is why he's here. And he's, you know, getting to interact with these incredible gentlemen and they're kind of working through some things together. So uh, Mike is, is here. He's just an amazing individual also like to thank Sara uh, Kessel, who organized the reception earlier, who's been a huge part of bringing this whole team together, and whose father was a World War II hero himself, and he was a surgeon, and he was in Arnhem uh, treating American, uh, treating British, treating uh, the Germans, treating anybody that needed help in a really, really crazy um, situation. So, Sara, thank you. Too. She's been with us for 23 years. Yeah, she's an honorary brother. She she rallied all the troops and has worked really, really hard to put this night for our heroes together. Uh, Mike Tarr, uh, who is uh, Mike Tracy, and I are really responsible. Tracy Huff, next to Mike Tarr, who's been to Normandy like 20 times, and who's uh, it's just his passion to understand history, and he. Um, just knows everything uh, about this. The three of us kind of organized uh, walk walk among heroes, and we're going to take a few different, completely different model than 
than what Matt and Leighton do, but we're going to take a few trips next year too for the 80th. So if anybody's interested, just come talk to us. As a reminder too, there's some of those posters and plaques and those sorts of things if, if you're interested in any of those. Finally, over the next few days leading up to D-Day, we're going to do some Instagram live things. It's just Walk Among Heroes. If you're interested at all, we're going to talk to these guys some more over the next few days, and we're going to talk to these guys some more over the next few days. So if you have any questions that we didn't get to tonight, I promise they'll be the first questions uh, that we get to on those Instagram live sessions because uh, Muggley's not going to let us back in here ever again if we if uh, if we uh, stay too much longer. So thank you so much for coming out and being part of this amazing evening. It's been an honor, and we'll see you soon. And that concludes episode 41 for your Walk Among Heroes podcast. Night for our heroes, inaugural night for our heroes, which took place last night. In St. Mary Glees, want to again thank Magali and Maurice and the entire staff over at the Airborne Museum for letting us do this. also want to thank all of our panelists. It means a lot that they would come all the way to Normandy, or if they're already in Normandy, they take the time to do this. Of course, Maurice is busy as can be organizing D-Day events. So just want to thank all of them so much for taking the time to come out, share their stories, share their thoughts with our amazing crowd. And obviously, thanks to our crowd for coming out and being part of this amazing evening. As I mentioned earlier, tomorrow, tomorrow we will be watching the jumps at La Fiera, which, God willing, the wind stays down and we're able to do that. Uh, in the afternoon, we will see the Iron Mike ceremony. Tomorrow night, we have dinner at the John Steele Restaurant, which is amazing. Following day, we'll be going to Utah Beach. We'll be going retracing the initial path of the Band of Brothers and going to Braycourt Manor, a few other places, St. Marie du Mall, places in that area. And then in the afternoon, we're either going to go watch the football game between 82nd and 101st, or we may possibly go back and retrace uh, Jim Kelly's steps in terms of where he landed over on the British sector on the eastern side of the invasion front. So that's it for now. I want to thank everybody for listening. Thank you for following along. Again, follow us at, Walk Among, at, at sign Walk Among Heroes on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all the social media channels. If you'd like to send us an email, simply walkamongheroes at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions, let us know. We'll do our best to answer them. We're going to do a live session tomorrow, hopefully with the World War II veterans, and then the following day, the Band of Brothers actors which I think will be a lot of fun. So be sure to tune into those. And then most importantly, I want to thank all of those who are protecting our way of life every single day, our Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps, Coast Guard, Space Force. Thanks for all you do. And thanks for joining me on this Walk Among Heroes. See you tomorrow.